Corinne Linz, and you're listening to Infrainteligence, a podcast from Renew Canada magazine. In today's episode, Integrated Project Delivery, or IPD as it's also known, integrates people, systems, business structures, and practices into a process that collaboratively harnesses the talents and insights of all participants to optimize project results, increase value to the owner, reduce waste, and maximize efficiency. Having said all that, IPD is not a new concept. In the following discussion, our panel of experts examine adoption rates, evolution of delivery models, and what projects best thrive under an IPD model. Good morning, and welcome to Renew Canada's Infrainteligence series. My name is Corrine Lenz, and I'm the content director here at Actual Media. I'll be your moderator for today's discussion on integrated project delivery. We've got a lot to cover over the next hour, but before I jump in and introduce you to our panel, I'd like to take a few moments to acknowledge the many First Nations and Indigenous people of Canada as the original stewards of this great country. I'm here in Toronto, which is located on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. We all share in the responsibility of our natural infrastructure, and there's much we can learn from the traditional knowledge of the land, water, and materials that allow us to build projects that benefit all Canadians. All right, so let's meet our experts. All right, first up, we have Dick Bayer from Collier's Project Leaders, and Niels from Graham Construction. We Thank have you. Louise Penniton from P1 Consulting, and last but not least, we got Mark Van Buren from the City of Kingston. All right, Dick, now is the time to give us your awesome intro. <laughs> um, I've been involved in integrated project delivery really since the, integra the integrated form of agreement was drafted initially by Will Lichtig. Um, and part of the Lean Construction Institute was the first executive director. Um, and that integrated form of agreement was really drafted because the, the, the other contracts available in the market really didn't allow or encourage a lean operating system for both lean design and construction. So. Um, that's where we came from, and we've gone quite far in the last 18 years or so. And um, I've had the great pleasure of working with both Neil and Mark uh, on different projects, and glad to see them here and I'm meeting Louise for the first time. Thank you. All right, Neil, you're up next. All right. Hi. Uh, there's an incredible turnout, so thanks for everybody for, for attending. Hopefully we get some uh, great insight in this hour. Um, like Corinne said, my name is Neil Panchuk. I've been with uh, Graham Construction for coming up on nine years now. Uh, I'm an architect by training. Uh, I spent the first half of my career uh, at uh, Zeidler Architects in Toronto, um, designing some of the kind of major um, pieces of Toronto. And it was an interesting insight about 10 years ago uh, when I was on step sum projects and, and modified design builds where the intent, the intent for the architect is always to provide what's best for the owner. Um, but in contractual models like that, there isn't the, the collaboration that we have on IPD. So I, I found myself um, sometimes being yelled at by the contractors, sometimes being upset with the, the consultant, uh, and really not having a, a proper balance. So th there was a time when I kind of said to myself, there's got to be a better way to do business. And Graham literally called me the next day as kind of out of this kismet and said we want to do something different we're, we're doing an IPD project for University of Waterloo so I packed my bags uh, and and left the architecture industry moved into construction so I've been here uh, here ever since oh, fantastic thank you for that all right Louise hi uh, I'm Louise Canatone from P1 Consulting 
uh, the owner of the firm that's been around for about 20 years. Uh, we've been working in a variety of different collaborative models since then. Uh, most recently over the last five years in, in IPD specifically, but embedding collaborative practices uh, in outsourcing P3s and otherwise. I'm on the board of directors of the Canadian Council for Public-Private Partnership for the Integrated Project Delivery Alliance and was on the board of directors of the International Facilities Management Association at the international level. So I bring, you know, to the discussion a wide variety of perspectives. Uh, we've been involved in procurement, deep procurement for 20 years in, in the public sector. Uh, I noted there's a question about that. Very important part of the, this uh, methodology. And I look forward to chatting about it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Mark. Good morning again, everybody. I'm Mark Van Buren. I'm the Deputy Commissioner of Major Projects at the City of Kingston. I've been with the city for almost about 20 years now. I've seen an awful lot of change uh, here in Kingston over that period of time. I'm trained as a civil engineer um, and have been involved in, in delivering a number of projects of, of varying sizes, but, but probably none bigger than the current project that we're working on, which is a third crossing. It's, it's a bridge crossing, about a 1.2 kilometer length bridge here in Kingston. And, uh, for what we know, it's probably the first uh, linear infrastructure project that has been delivered using integrated project delivery. And we're in the midst of it right now. And uh, I'm happy to join this conversation today because I think, you know, I, I carry a little bit of maybe a different perspective and that comes from the owner side. And uh, I appreciate Neil's comments there. We, we as well had a thirst for, for looking at things differently. You know, how could we approach, you know, working with consultants and contractors just in a different way. And really at the heart of all of that was collaboration. So look forward for the discussion today. Thank you so much. All right, let's jump in. All right, so integrated, integrated project delivery is a project delivery approach that integrates people, systems, business structures, and practices into process that collaboratively harnesses the talents and insights of all participants to optimize project results, increase value to the owner, and reduce waste and maximize efficiency. So having said all of that, integrated project delivery is not a brand new concept. So let's begin our discussion today by getting kind of a lay of the land. Um, interested in knowing, are we seeing an increased adoption rate of IPD models? And if so, what's driving that demand? And Dick, I'm going to pick on you first. <laughs> Can you kick us okay. off? Is integrated project <laughs> delivery being more widely adopted? Or, you know, what's driving that from your perspective? Uh, yeah, it seems like um, there's almost a wildfire out there now. At least it's in the conversation with most owners. Um, which was different than uh, when I came up here in 2011 and helped uh, TD Bank with a renovation. It was the first IPD project, I think, uh, in Toronto, um, but it's kind of coterminous with what was happening back in, in Moose Jaw. But it was a new concept that came north of the border from the States. Um, and really, I, the, the major adoption in the States, interestingly enough, has been hospitals and medical care because it, it blends so nicely with lean healthcare. Um, but here, I think that we have just seen, as Mark pointed out, and uh, he was, you know, one of my first <laughs> contacts, uh, especially on infrastructure, that owners were looking for something different. They were frustrated with uh, time delays, cost overruns, the kind of inadequacy of what they thought was supposed to be, you know, cost certainty and time certainty. Um, and they just found that fighting with people all the time wasn't that much fun. Um, and I think the variety of projects from 
a $6 million project with the atmospheric fund that we're working on right now to Neil's project at Ryerson, which is, you know, about a half a billion dollars. There's just a huge variety of things in there and owners seem to be adopting or at least inquiring about it from almost every sector of the industry. Corinne, if I could just add to that, the projects are more complex than ever. Schedules are tighter than ever. Funds are tighter than ever. And the old way of working where we're, we're throwing information over the fence from one consultant to another and back to the contractor for pricing, it's it's proved time and time again that, that that's failing. And, and that's where IBD really comes in and, and allows us to get out of the gate uh, in an aligned manner right from the start and, and really drive towards that maximum value. And I think from my perspective, um, you know, I'm not so sure about the adoption at this point, but I'd, I'd say the interest is enormous. Uh, you know, I myself get lots of inquiries almost on a weekly basis about, you know, what's going on in Kingston? And, you know, I'd like to learn more about what you guys are doing for IPD. And as Dick said, I mean, you know, from an owner's perspective, I think there was just, there's a point of getting tired where, you know, you constantly are dealing with projects that are missing budget, missing schedule, and, you know, have the constant uh, looming threat of, of legal action, you know, between the parties. And, and it really set the table for how can we do things differently? And, and building on that, you know, when you look at the Canadian market, uh, based on the IPDA statistics, there's 50 projects either complete or in, in progress right now. And that's not even talking about the ones that are in procurement. So, you know, it's active, it's present, and we're definitely seeing a lot more interest in it, in this model. You know, from my perspective, the discussion on risk is one that drives a huge amount of value collaborative management of risk, identification of risk. These are big, big benefits of IPD. And I think owners are, are starting to really rally behind that. And if I could just jump in and add to that, Louise, thanks for that. Because uh, my whole view of IPD is that because it brings everybody to the table up front, we get to know an awful lot more earlier on things we just used to make assumptions on. And so that's even, so if risk is just what we don't know, every time we make an assumption, we're assuming something that we don't know. So the more we know earlier, the better we are. And that is right at the top of risk management. And that comes from a guy who used to litigate big construction cases <laughs> and always wondered, couldn't they have known this before they started that project? It's, it's kind of crazy. Well, the, the other thing I build on, Dick, on what you're saying is that uh, clarity of scope is also very important. And, you know, ultimately, in many of the construction uh, projects, we go out and buy what we expect. Uh, in an IPD, we're buying an outcome. Uh, we're having good, frank discussions about how it can be done, what we're looking to, to achieve. So that as well, you know, you look at the balance of the, of the risk and the outcome, um, and you really do see benefits. And that's from a procurement perspective on the owner's side, uh, when you're talking risk and outcomes, uh, there were kind of the two camps where there's the procurement department and then there's the people who are actually building and designing uh, along with the team. So procurement departments were saying, well, how do we how do we mitigate risk? How do we do all these things that we can typically think we safeguard ourselves from on a, on a step sum or a, a DB? And it's this successful projects and, and events like these where we're actually getting out and explaining to people how you mitigate risk that it has allowed those procurement departments to kind of open their ears to, to, new, to IPD in general. 
Yeah, Bill, Bill on that, Mark, uh, just, uh, you know, when you think about it, what you do in a procurement is you balance the outcome risk and the process risk. And so what you're talking about is really focusing in on making sure the process risk uh, is identified without compromising the procurement risk, though. I can tell you there's incredibly great, great ways to get there. And, and that backs into a conversation that, that was raised in the chat about how you procure IPD teams. So it gets in, many of these projects are in the public space. Um, and Mark's team had to kind of figure out how to procure that that team and, and meet the, the competitive requirements of the procurement department and the kind of broader public sector you know, issues around procurement. And it's, it's, it's a really interesting discussion because um, an owner gets interested in it and then they go to their procurement department and they go, oh, oh, oh my goodness, oh, it's going to be crazy. And, and that journey is is a long one, but, um, you know, I think it pays off, you know, the the time and the effort that is put into that, that part of the process, you know, with, with that outcome of finding the best team possible. And and I think, you know, we all like to think that we're finding the best team, but I, I really do think we should be asking honest questions of ourselves as to whether or not that investment in, in preparing good RFP documents and and a rigorous process to be evaluating teams. Uh, you know, we were fortunate to have Dick join us and, and be part of that evaluation process. Um, you know, a critically important part of the whole IPD journey. Have you noticed, have the delivery models evolved significantly over the years? And if so, how, I mean, has it been trial and error and people are learning from the mistakes or has there been other influences? And maybe I'll jump in here, uh, having worked on many different models, you know, I think the answer is yes, absolutely. You know, we're seeing more diverse market uh, models in the market, uh, IPV being one of them, but, you know, you have progressive DB. There's a lot of different ways to, to deliver. I mean, part of the contributors, from my perspective, is that the vendor community is becoming a lot more sophisticated and interested in contributing to the outcome. So, you know, they want to be party to the uh, the, the overall uh, structuring of, uh, of the project and they bring huge value. So, you know, IPD is, is definitely driving that. Um, the, the other one is that there have been a lot of successful delivery models, you know, including P3s, but, you know, it's time to revisit risk and people are looking at that differently, both in P3s and in the, this type of approach. So, you know, risk has been a big driver, I'd say, over the last uh, couple of years. You re de definitely don't need the right parameters for a project like this. Yeah, I mean, so I've worked on, I think, six different supplemental conditions for um, the CCDC 30 um, to match both the procurement and the legal departments of the owners, um, but also to try to encourage the supply chain because, you know, we're going to the market looking for trades and trades don't usually respond to RFPs. So they don't have like the greatest... Uh, marketing department they don't have you know 20 percent of their assets tied up in in chasing business because they're usually part of a team with a, a gc who wins you know wins that and so the supply chain issue is getting people who really understand how the model works and really how that lean operating system works about plan do check and act and move forward you know to best value and effectiveness um that's 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 where those models change a bit to accommodate early adopters in the supply chain. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think everybody um, has the same desire, which is certainty. You, know, 
you think about the owner's perspective, uh, you know, the consultant and the contractor's perspective, everybody has that quest for certainty. And in that journey, you look at risk and, and every party is trying to minimize their risk. And, and I think the evolution that we have seen is that, you know, we've gone from constantly trying to monetize that risk and then trade it away um, to flipping that around and saying, well, why don't we actually try to embrace that risk or share that risk? Um, and, and I think that's the heart of, of what IPD tries to do is really just to take that shared risk, shared reward approach. So, uh, so I do think that that is kind of the evolution that we're on right now. Yeah, being I think risk averse is like the worst possible. It opens you up. If, if you're normally risk averse, it opens you up to the greatest number of risks. <laughs> it's funny how that works as a kind of backwards. And if we if we look at um, like a CM model or design build, something like that, it, we always, uh, I guess, take the, take the approach of estimating kind of on the syncopated basis, almost like uh, you're, you're, if you're driving a car, you're always driving with your eyes open. If you close your eyes, you're going to get in an accident, yet in the in the AEC world, we think we can keep our eyes closed from a cost perspective for three months at a time and then open them at 30% and go, oh, just had an accident. Let's turn it around and redo it. And they do it again. So uh, at Graham, we've been uh, pushing the continuous estimating into all our delivery models. Just whether it's asked for or not, it just it takes that element of risk and it turns it into days instead of months. And that allows for uh, smaller corrections to be made rather than large scale corrections. And I think that also underscores the transparency that you see in IPD because the opacity, if you never, you know, if Mark never knows what's really going on with the budget and he's just waiting to get a budget report every four months or something, um, that's too late to fix it. You know, if, if you're looking at, at that, at the budget every week, so Graham at Ryerson is, is updating numbers every week in a dashboard that everybody has access to. Um, and sometimes those numbers aren't pretty but it's good to see them, you know, really early so that you can try to work on them and do something about that. Well, it sounds like there have been some challenges, so it leads well into the next question. What would you say the challenges historically have been with IPD models and how have you overcome them? And I'm happy to have you use examples if you have any to share. Yeah, I can just jump into that as the LCI director, the first executive director back in 2010. We just had all these really good ideas and we had no data. And people wanted to go, well, how's it worked? How many times have you eaten up all the risk pool? How many times has it gone over? And the owners had to pay. Um, and that's been a big challenge because uh, people believe data more than they believe like great ideas, which is sometimes unfortunate. <laughs> um, but we have been able to accumulate a bunch of data. IPDA has, has done studies, um, Marku Allison, uh, who was you know, significant in founding that, was on the University of Minnesota study. Uh, he worked at the AA when they were developing their, their models. And so we finally began to develop some, some data and that's what helps drive you know, true believers. I think uh, to build on what you just said, Dick, uh, you know, public sector entities have approval processes and fitting this model into the approval processes, you know, where you don't have a firm fixed number before you start, which is, you know, <laughs> counterintuitive to begin with. 
Um, you know, so we need to, and the IPDA is working on developing value for money analysis that compare to the other assessment, you know, on DBV and DBE and P3s, so that it becomes a real viable option. Um, the other, the other two areas that I think are, are challenging under IPD is um, individuals, because this is all about people, by the way. If you have the right people around the table, your project will be amazing. Um, but slipping back into prior to more traditional uh, behaviors, so embedding those tools so that you're not just doing training at the beginning, but you're going ongoing. And, and the last, from my perspective, is. You know, IPD is not designed to have very significant number of changes. You know, it's designed to have a good, solid outcome and collaborative work to get there. So if you don't know what your project is, it's probably not a good candidate for IPD. Understand what you want to buy and build and, and start. And, you know, projects that have had challenges are some that have, you know, quite significant changes. Fair enough. Yeah, I think one of the other obstacles just to build on on the weeds uh, perspective there is is you know one is just the inherent transparency you know this this whole notion of people being comfortable with just the idea that you know uh, consultants and contractors make profit and then to be able to understand exactly what that profit is um, you know in in some circles that makes people feel uncomfortable to be having those discussions with our with our with our public, with our residents, you know, these are things that we've always kind of in other models, you know, we, we obscure um, or we don't talk about it, but it's very transparent and very open. And, and, and that's a little bit of a, of a shift in the conversation to be having. Um, I also agree with Louise. There is, you know, this is all about people and, and breaking old habits and, and being open to, you know, different approaches to be working together. Um, that's a little bit of a shift, um, and and it and it requires that constant time and attention to be looking at these things and continuing to learn and improve. So it's, just oh, go ahead. It's really, a, it's really a behavior change on on everybody's part as well. Um, like from a planning perspective, um, site supers really the, the best site super was the one who could uh, be the most authoritarian in, in getting the, the people to pull to the schedule and. We're reversing that where the, the last planners are actually telling the superintendent what the schedule should be. So you, you look at architects and someone like myself for coming from the contractor's uh, field saying, we don't really think we can afford that. How about we look at some other options and them going, well, why are you telling me how we should be designing this? It, it, there needs, there can be no egos in IPD that you have to drop your ego at the door and say, I'm looking, uh, we're, we've developed our conditions of satisfaction, our values, and that's what's driving us. It's not It's not the loudest voice in the room. So when, when everybody was talking, I, I was reminded that I think the biggest challenge with IPD is using cost as an input to design. That's a really difficult thing to do. And you're, you know, Mark has to go in front of a uh, city council and has to be able to tell them, this is, a, this is kind of what we think it's gonna cost and this is kind of what it's gonna look like when we haven't designed the building yet and we don't really know, or the facility or the bridge or whatever, you know, we, we don't really know what it's gonna cost. We're making some guesses around things, you know, without having necessarily a full design. So I think that's that's a real challenge in getting designers who are so used to designing and pricing, having 
you know, a really robust estimator at their side or an estimation desk in the big room where they can get information about cost is, is a really, that's a cultural change. That's, that's always um, a difficult challenge. Fantastic. We have a question from the audience. Um, I'm just, before I ask that question, I'm going to remind everyone to get in there and respond to the poll questions because we're going to come back to those in a minute. All right. So the question is for owners who don't typically do mega projects, how do you set them up to be a credible counterparty in IPD when they are sitting across from an established contractor? So maybe I can jump in because that's that's the business we're in. Uh, you know, <laughs> essentially, we we work with with owners as a trusted advisor. So, you know, I think uh, what what I would say is make sure that you have the expertise at the table with you uh, who can help navigate you through the process. Yeah, there's interesting things about mega projects because people say, well, you know, half a billion dollar project, that's great for IPD. But what about a $10 million project or a $20 million project? We're doing a $6 million project with the Atmospheric Fund, which is um, a heat renewal and renovation on some Toronto community housing projects. Um, and so it changed the way that we approach the IPD. So we went to the market to get an entire IPD team because we can't afford multiple procurements. Um, we're looking at how that team is going to function in, you know, kind of on the interior because it's such a limited project and yet it's a pilot project. We're doing a whole bunch of these things down the road. So we spent six months working with nine different legal firms <laughs> on the supplemental conditions because it's a real way of kind of testing it. But I, I, I do think it is that IPD is available for almost uh, every kind of project if the owner um, is willing to participate at a different level than they have in the past. And I think, I think you know, that is probably one of the important ingredients in looking at IPD is, is that extent uh, to which the owner is involved. And, and, and it was one of, I think, the, the points of consideration that we gave. And, and, and we had that discussion with our city council around, you know, what was going to be the most suitable procurement model for, for our project. And, and I think one of the things was, you know, not diminishing the value that we as the owner could bring to, uh, to the discussion. You know, in, in this case, you know, our project, you know, it started its journey in 2009. So you can imagine, you know, the years of discussions with stakeholders and the public and regulatory agencies, you know, and, and there's a value that can be unlocked from that, that the owner has that they can bring to the rest of the team. So, you know, for the audience, I think that is one of the considerations that should be given is what is the value that the owner can bring to the table and, and not and not discounting that. And it's even what value can the owner bring and, and how do they define value? Um, we're trying not to make decisions in the absence of input from the owner simply because it's it's not our money. It's it's the stakeholders uh, money. So um, I've worked with Dick a couple of times now, and, and that's really the benefit of getting an, a, an advisor in early to help educate them prior to getting an RFP or something like that out so they can quantify in their brain, what am I actually looking for uh, as an end state to what Louise said? Um, because we can't, we're not mind readers. We can't provide that for you. You need to help us determine what value is and we can collectively move forward. Just building on what Mark said, you know, I think it's it's really interesting when you think about the owner's role and the owner as a participant, not a recipient of the service. 
I mean, in, in one of the projects we were involved in at CNL, you know, getting through the security gate is, is a big, huge deal. Um, and normally in a traditional project, you just, the owner would say, well, that's your problem. Figure it out, schedule, you know, schedule your deliveries uh, according to my availability. In an IPD, you work together and say, is there a better way for us to do it? Can we keep the gates open an extra hour? Can we, you know, so it becomes a lot more collaborative, but the owner is a stakeholder. An owner has part of the, all of the benefit, but uh, a lot of the action as well. So I, you know, it's a really important part, uh, point, Mark. Thanks for bringing it up. And, and we have an opportunity to define, you know, what those roles are. You know, one of the important ingredients in IPD is, is the validation phase and, and, you know, that is that opportunity for the team to really say, okay, you know, who is going to take the lead? Who is going to play in the supporting role as we think and parse through all of these elements of our project? So definitely uh, owner is listed up there as, you know, tasks one through through 100 in terms of our leadership and, and contribution to the team. And it, it changes how owners look at projects. I'm reminded of... Um, my friend Angela Presta coming into the big room at Humber saying, we got a big problem with, uh, with the fire hydrant and I'm so happy. And everybody went, well, why are you happy? He said, because yesterday that was my problem. Today, it's our problem. And it's, it's an interesting way of addressing what IPD really does in mindset change. This might be the most quotable panel ever. All right, I'm gonna to jump to another question. All right, let's see. Um, doo -doo -doo. So a major drawback of IPD is that the price isn't set in a competitive environment, but it sounds like IPD can drive better value through a collaborative process. Can you talk about how IPD can lead to good VFM for owners? Maybe I can start with that. It's, uh, it's definitely one of my passions, you know, working on, uh, on value for money. Um, so, so number one, you do have competition and you have open book uh, as it relates to the poly party partners. So, you know, number, you, you end up seeing exactly what's, uh, you know, what their compensation is. And, you know, you have the opportunity to challenge, by the way, not alone as the owner, but with the remainder of the team on whether or not what's being put forward is reasonable. So, I, you know, in my opinion, there's actually more maybe less competition, but more challenging uh, of, of the actual true cost. The other is, you know, there's a number of commodity trades uh, that are involved in here in which you will run procurements or have some competition. So, you know, there's a, there is a good balance of, of that. We also recommend having quantity surveyors come in and validate some of these costs as you go along. So, you know, there's a number of checks and balances that will demonstrate that you are indeed getting value for money in the same way as you would through a competitive process. Yeah, I would underscore that completely because I, I think there's a huge amount of competition, actually. It's just not always competition about price. So there are there is competition about rates and overhead and the different things that you bring to the table. But the real competition is between the teams. What team is bringing the most value? Who has the best understanding of things? That's why the interview becomes um, usually a much more highly scored part of the overall uh, process than, than just price alone. And as Louise said, I think we find about 30% of the contracts are lump sum that are competed on price because they're very fungible. Um, you would never, you know, you, you'd never sit down and interview a box of nails for an hour to decide which one was best, right? You would just look at the price and you would just go buy those box of nails. So there's, there's I think, Neil, you can 
back me up on this experience. My experience is about 30% of the overall yeah. contracts are lump sum. Yeah, that's, that's where we found it as well. And it, uh, like on a, on a monthly basis, we're, we're still looking at resource loaded work plans, which is essentially uh, capturing uh, from the, the start of the project to the end of the project, what the resourcing is from each, each trade, each consultant, and measuring that against our process for our progress for the project. So it's, it's really keeping our eyes open, like I mentioned before, and, and the PMT, the project management team, really making sure that we're, we're recognizing on a regular basis, what is this person doing? What is this team doing? Can we make adjustments uh, to things like that? So to Dick's point for, for the best value piece, uh, we certainly may not be the, the most inexpensive team, but we're using every hour at its optimal value. So in the end, to, to Luis's point, for the outcome you're getting, it is less expensive. You're, you're paying more in, in some areas, but it's overall less expensive at the end because we're, we're aggregating uh, the, the elements of the whole in such a unique way that it brings that value. And where, yeah. where normal lump sum contracts go up, after, the, after you open the bid, you're bound to get change orders that are going to increase things because that's how people have bid it to be able to make those change orders. And what happens when you pick your IPD team and you set it on the target cost, it really in 98% of the, the cases, it never gets worse than that. That's the amount that you're gonna pay, the profits at risk for the team. And as you move through it, there's not change orders unless there's some substantial, you're building a parking lot next door. You know, finding something in the middle of the lawn is not a change order. You know, and, uh, and just to build on Louise's first comments there, I mean, th this is, you know, in terms of the value for money, I mean, I'd like for people not to mistake that, you know, this just doesn't go into a black hole where, you know, one party makes all the decisions. We as the owner are involved in every single procurement decision, you know, that happens on the project. You know, certainly we're not going to be sitting there. And as Dick said, we're not going to spend a day, you know, uh, discussing, you know, whether or not we're going to, buy a box of screws from Home Depot or Rona, but but other major procurements, there is always a good healthy discussion about, you know, evaluating uh, the different subcontractors that are going to be involved, who brings that value, what is the price, and we're doing that as a team. It's not just one entity that, that, that has that responsibility. I'd like to come back to Neil's point about, you know, the value and, you know, many of the procurements, uh, you know, in the past were really focused in on a race to the bottom line. You know, who can do it the cheapest, uh, lowest cost compliant, all of these types of models. Um, you know, my comment to you is you get what you, you get what you pay for. So, you know, at the end of the day, under this model and, you know, tying back to what Neil said, you know, what we're looking for are the best and the brightest to come to the table. And maybe it'll take them two hours instead of 10 hours to do something. So, you know, that's the kind of value that you look at under this. And the full transparency really helps you get there. So quite beneficial. I've you know, always thought that, that price competition was, in fact, um, just a, a zero-sum game, right? That That it was always based on the idea that we might be able to get something for less than it costs. And I can tell you in the 50 years I've been lawyering and doing this kind of thing, you never get anything for less than it costs. Fair yeah. enough. We have another question here related to cost. Uh, if you don't know how much a project will cost at the outset, how do you get approval for it to proceed? I think that's jumping off a comment was made earlier. Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Um, 
so I'll just jump in really quickly. The, the reason you have a validation period is to try to figure out what the building should cost or the facility should cost, what the bridge should cost. And then the team makes a leap of faith that they can deliver for less than that expected cost. So you're doing a really deep dive into what's available out there, whether it's benchmarking or estimation or flying through the model or uh, as, as, as Neil said, continuous estimating or conceptual estimating. You, you have so many more data points than you do in a usual just low cost bid. So I think the validation period is hugely important and it's often a, a pretty difficult journey for folks, which is which brings out the best talent in people. And then to, to, to add in, I mean, it, it's also an offering for, for the parties as well. You know, if if the journey through validation just points to the fact that, you know, you, you can't put the, the round peg in the square hole, you're just not going to be able to build your project for your budget, you know, there there's the offering there. So again, you know that 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 investment in in doing a proper validation phase and and coming up with that final report, you know, not only gets you you know past that hurdle, but it but it also becomes a great guiding document, you know, as you carry on through your journey in detailed design and construction. Yeah, and you have the people who are actually going to do the work at the table setting these these dollar values with you. It's not a theoretical exercise that's being done in isolation of how it can be done or when it can be done. So that, you know, that drives a lot of value in terms of the certainty of the numbers as well. So it's an important piece. Yeah. And I think part of the question seemed to be that how do you how do you establish a budget even before you get to the, the IPD or the start of validation. So as, as Graham, we have owners coming to us all the time looking to establish kind of high level budgets of, of what their project can cost. So it's it certainly, it, we welcome anybody to come to us. We'll, we'll talk with them, try to set set that initial budget um, for the, the incorporation into the kind of RFP um, to, to set that with your procurement, things like that. Yeah, we, I did mention, uh, you know, that we usually engage quantity surveyors through the entire process, uh, and that starts at the beginning uh, and, and stays with the project throughout. It does provide owners and their executive a lot of assurance, too, both on the buildup of the numbers themselves and, and that they're realistic and defendable. So it's, what uh, we've what we've done on Ryerson is, um, and this was really with Neil's suggestion and the suggestion of the core group, uh, was to do an early audit. So we have some early auditors who come in and, and just say, okay, these, rate, these rates look reasonable. This overhead looks reasonable. This is a, a value check against what the market is. So it's another thing that you can do. Right. All right, let's take a quick look at our polls and see what uh, the feedback from our crowd here is today. So the first question of the polls is, have you participated in a project that used IPD? And only 23% of our attendees today have, and then we got uh, 76% no. So a lot of people here, I think, to learn a lot more about it, so this is great. Uh, and then what do you perceive as the greatest benefit of participating in an IPD project? So the perception here is 68%, or I believe it's the collaboration innovation, um, just 10% see it for efficiencies and cost savings, and then only 21% for lower risk. For our panel, would you agree with these? Is anything here? Uh... I like the, the one about the efficiency and cost savings. Mm -hmm. Just similar to what, what Dick was talking about, the, the reason to get into an IPD project is to believe in collaboration, innovating, and, and driving to value. It's not to race to the bottom line, like Luis said. So if you are if you have a project that is you think is over budget and the timeline isn't, you can't make the timeline, 
don't choose IPD because it's going to solve that. It's not a panacea. It, it's going to help maximize that or best suit it, but you really don't be looking at uh, a miracle a miracle cure for, for your ills. So where, where IPD saves you money, really, because I think this goes right to what, what Neil is talking about. We're taking, we're trying to take out those those processes that are misaligned around litigation and making a, a record so that you can sue somebody later on. So the whole submittal process and how much that costs you, you know, in IPD, we typically pick an air handler in design. So we don't have that whole, you know, long extended uh, period. We don't have change orders. So we don't have those administrative costs. And what you're really trying to get to is absolute zero on cost, but you got to remember that stuff costs, money <laughs> and it, it, this is not somebody said to me the other day oh i thought ipd it gives you all the value that you want for the money you have and i said no what ipd tells you is what's the value you can get for the money you have it doesn't give you all the value that you want because that's like christmas and that would be awesome <laughs> christmas everybody <laughs> that's awesome uh, the last question, or last poll question we had was, what do you perceive as the greatest challenge of participating in an IPD project? And I love this based on the fact that a lot of our audience today hasn't been in one yet, so it's good to see the perception. Uh, so trust is an automatic. So 20% um, are, you know, not sure about working with the partners, perhaps. Uh, higher upfront costs came in at only 7%. Greater time commitment is only 2%. And then the big one here at 69.2% is not everyone is familiar with IPD. So I think uh, that kind of lines with what we were saying right off the top in terms of it still being something that people are getting to know. And although it's growing, I think there's still lots to learn. Uh, we have had lots of great questions here. This is amazing. If I could just add, uh, yeah. you know, I, I would encourage those who are taking the poll to actually go to the IPDA site. There's lots of tools, lots of information, lots of training. So if you want to learn about IPD, it's a really good place to, uh, to start. And, uh, you know, no, you're not alone. There, there's a lot of people in the learning curve right now and uh, interested in the process. I think John Tenpenny, the editor of Renew Canada, will likely post that link in the chat in just a minute. So um, I think uh, just, Corinne, I think, you know, the, the learning is an important part of the whole process here. Um, you know, and it's not just learning individually. I think it's also, you know, if the decision is made to pursue an IPD project is, is learning as a team. Um, you know, in fact, Dick was with us as, as we did some of those sessions where we brought, you know, owner, consultant, contractor together. And it was really important to, to go through that process. And I think it laid the foundation for some other important pieces here, which is, you know, setting out mission statement, setting out your project values, setting out your goals. And, and some of these things actually become part of your validation exercise where you're going to attach financial compensations to goals. So, you know, this doing this learning in a in a joint way, you know, to really establish that strong foundation for the project. And then you keep building on that, you know, uh, the team learning, you know, manifests into just spending more time together in that collaboration. And and it takes time and it takes energy. But at the end of the day, it, it I think it builds what we all look for, which is trust. And, and once you get to that point where you believe that you, you've established good trust uh, amongst the team, you know, then I think you really start to unlock a whole lot of these, these efficiencies and that creative thinking that comes through that kind of day-to-day -day collaboration. So I know uh, last week when we were chatting amongst ourselves as a group, we had one topic that elicited a little bit of debate, um, which was 
which projects are ideal for an IPD model and how do you decide which model to use? Which projects for which models? And I think this will answer some of the other questions that will be coming up too, because there's questions specific to mining and other areas, other things too. Anyone here like to start out? I know both Dick and Louise had some thoughts on this. <laughs> sure. So I would, I'd love to start out because, you know, I have been, uh, I spent 30 years just litigating contracts, uh, construction contracts and securities contracts that had hundreds of thousands of documents and stuff. And so from my perspective, the, the way that we designed the IFOA uh, inside the lean community to use a lean operating system um, is really, it, it, in my view, the, the IPD is just the contract model that enables the system. And the system works on almost every project. Now, you might have timelines, you might have political restrictions, you might have uh, other things inside your procurement that makes it difficult for you to do. But if you just think about the lean design and construction system, and that's the operating system, it really does work really well in almost any in almost any design or build project from my perspective. Yeah, and, and maybe I can add on to that uh, with mm -hmm. a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, I'm a big believer in IPD, but not for every project. You know, some of the clients we work with, like, for example, large government entities, have a big, big bulk of their projects that really should be developed through design, bid, build, or DB, like really get get the work done, small projects, low risk. Uh, you know, where, where the model should be used is, you know, number one, where you have the right team. I mean, that's test number one. Actually, it's my test. As we start looking at projects, will you have the right people at the table to actually carry this project through and have the right attitude? Uh, number two is really right governance, um, the approval process. Have you figured out how to move your project through the entire approval process? And do you have the approval and uh, endorsement from the executive? Very, very important as you're considering this project, probably more so than a traditional project, because you're selling them on the concept as well as the project itself. Uh, the second, and we talked about it earlier on, the right support. You know, legal and procurement are huge stakeholders in these projects. We need to engage them, train them, have them participate through the entire process. If you've got a procurement department or a legal department that's not going to embrace this process, it, it just ain't going to work. And then finally, from my perspective, uh, I, I've said it a couple of times, the right project. You know, you really have to know what you're going to buy. And, uh, you know, you don't you don't need it spec'd out. Absolutely not. That that would, in, in fact, be the wrong project. You need, But you need to know what the outcome is and have a clear vision. Uh, your, you know, contractor and designer aren't going to figure that out for you. They, You have to figure it out. So that, those are, are, for me, the tests on whether or not a project would be successful. All right. I think, yeah, I think I would agree with that, uh, Corinne, is that yeah, I think from an owner's perspective, if you know exactly what you buy and, and, and it's been done 20 times over, um, you know, you probably have a different contractual model that suits that. I think, you know, where there are projects that involve a level of complexity, multiple stakeholders, and and I mentioned it earlier, is, is you know, the long history Um you know, that, that allows for an environment where the owner can bring some of that knowledge as value to the project, then then I think it's more appropriate, you know, sitting in, in an IPD world. Yeah, I think this dovetails with the question that was that Phil raised in the chat about smaller or less experienced development teams and how do you support them. And so um, 
you know, I just I recently sold my company to Collier's uh, Project Leaders because they do a pretty you know nationwide job of advising people as trusted advisors like Louise on how to develop what's best for their projects. But the cool thing about bringing me in is that they have now that's in, in some senses a kind of a market recognition that yeah we also need to be able to, to help owners with this whole IPD process because it looks pretty simple on paper but I, I think you know at base from my perspective it's not about the contract the contract is actually it doesn't really tell you much it sets up a PMT it tells you you need to collaborate and it gives you some schedule if you don't have a lean operating system to actually make that effective you're almost like a CM not at risk right you're just kind of moving through the project as you normally would without changing those behaviors. Um, and to, to Neil's point, when you're managing your resources, you, you have to be able to tell people that they need to go home, right? <laughs> you have to be able to say, you're not adding value right now. And that's a, that's a difficult thing for how the industry has usually supported projects. And I think and for any owners out there who are concerned about their the size of their project, they don't think is large enough, um, there are a lot of instances where with post-secondary um, institutions and things like that where there are multiple small projects going on concurrently throughout the campus it can certainly be packaged into a larger piece so we can get one design team moving on different projects we can use workable backlog to make sure that we're maximizing value for labor that's on site so there are a lot of unique options that can that can happen all right i think we'll have time for at least one more question from the audience here um, please comment, how does IPD apply to large uh, like 1 billion projects like building a new mine? Overruns for mine projects are notoriously excessive and ending in legal actions. So we're, we're involved in a project that is IPD, I'll call it IPD-ish. Ish, it's a target cost model for Canadian nuclear laboratories and very complicated, a lot of influencing factors. And you know what I can tell you is the benefits of collaboration between the contractor in this case and the client are extremely significant. So what, what occurred in the project is a clear definition of the risks and a quantification of those risks up front. And by the way, establishing mitigants right out of the gate. Let's figure out what we're going to do when this happens. So, you know, in very large, very complex projects, thinking out not only you know what do I want at the end of it but what happens when things go wrong because they will go wrong there are things that will go wrong uh, there are extremely big benefits and we get that with IPD as well so I mean I think it's it's uh, that's what I would say uh, is is a one of the contributors that will help uh, put, put your project in place on time on budget and really one of the earliest IPD project public IPD projects with the California prison healthcare receivership uh, that was done back in 2008. That was a $7 billion program to build 10,000 beds in California prisons as quickly as possible. And when the economy fell apart in 2008, 2009 in the States, um, the team went out and did one of those projects and, and they did it in 23 months. And I have a little plaque on my wall that says we delivered $60 million worth of construction in a single month. So it, it the, there, there are huge benefits <laughs> we're doing big giant projects um, in a collaborative fashion. It just takes a lot of people, it takes a lot of thinking, it takes a lot of complication. And it is, I think it's the most agile process for dealing with the things that Louise said, you know, things are gonna come up, things are gonna go wrong, what do you do? Yeah, and it's part part of the, IPD facilitates it 
well. It's the the, the lean principles that that go into construction. And and if we start, if we keep having recurring overages in in something like a mine, we need to we need to remedy that not by adding litigiousness to the contract to protect yourself from risk. We need to accept that those are happening. Dig into them. Do the root cause prior to the project starting and at the project start. Say. These are every single, uh, or these are all the reasons why we keep going over on projects. Let's dig into it now before it hits us later. And and Mark is here as an example of a guy who thought, well, it'd be cool to do a construction project differently. Let's do a bridge. And I think it's the first bridge we've done in Canada on an IPD basis. One of the very few bridges that have been done. Now with this trillion dollar infrastructure stuff going on in the States, and you know, that will lead to, to both resource Shortages in Canada, steel shortages, all kinds of different things. We have to be able to think about this as, as a flexible, agile way of delivering projects. Yeah, I'd be interested in, in the, the question and kind of dissecting that a little bit more in terms of, you know, what are the circumstances that are creating these issues with mining projects? I, I might venture that, you know, part of this is just regulatory approvals, you know, in dealing with, you know, regulatory agencies. And, and even in our experience, you know, that, that has been difficult. And it is it is something to, to consider, um, you know, even as we think about the evolution of IPD, you know, and how do we improve upon this model? Um, you know, I, for one, think that there is, is an opportunity that, you know, we're, we're finding, you know, this level of collaboration between owners and consultants and contractors, but how do we create an environment in which we can bring, you know, the regulatory bodies to the table as well, um, you know, to really capitalize on some efficiencies? Um, and, and maybe that's maybe that's the journey ahead as we think creatively about how we can do that. What's interesting is one one of my colleagues, Carlos Sapolsky, is working with uh, the city of Lloydminster. And they recently won a red tape reduction award because they started with a water treatment facility and they moved into how the city operates and their tax assessment process and their trash collection process. And she's helping them lean up all of those different things because right to what you're saying, Mark, that these, these processes help us in so many different ways. Yeah, and I think just capitalizing on the maintainability as well uh, you know, I think, Mark, that's a really good point. Think not only about what you're building, what you're maintaining, how you're, and, and that is that is an area that can have a lot of benefit up front as well. The cool, uh, working with Dick on Trafalgar Park, uh, and to Mark's point, we, we actually brought in the, the site plan um, approval committee as well as the building building officials for permits to have them plan with us. They weren't comfortable doing it because we were trying to say, how long does it take? And we did it over and over and ended up saving a substantial amount of time. And and really it was our time in submitting things in the correct order and, and basically how they want it. Because you can't just go to the uh, City of Toronto website and they spell out exactly the order you need to submit. They tell you, here, this is what you need. So it's a bit of a, a bit of an art to figure that out. So just welcome them in and, and they become part of the process. Yeah. Well, what's great about Mark's project is that he had done that 10 years of regulatory work before we started the project. And we end up on projects all the time. And uh, Neil, the one that you're on now, where people are going for site plan approval and they're going for rezoning and they're, they're doing all kinds of administrative stuff. And no matter how quickly we go, you know, we're hidebound by what those milestones are. We have just a couple minutes left. 
Uh, and there was another question about IPD training. And I was wondering if our panel could make any recommendations for people who are looking to learn more about IPD. Um, where would you recommend they start? Well, again, I'll, I'll uh, mention the IPDA. Uh, mm -hmm. Lots of material there, lots of tools available. Uh, there's an IPD uh, boot camp uh, that's happening this summer. So, uh, and there's owners forums, uh, lots of places for you to get involved and, and learn about IPD through the organization. Yeah, there's a couple of that I would mention, leanconstructionblog.com. Uh, lots of educational papers and different things there and they're creating a Lean 101. And then I would point to um, the Lean Construction Institute in the States uh, who publish a number of books. They have a Congress every year. They have a design forum. There's lots of great learning um, that goes on there as well. Yeah. And if, if owners are looking for kind of the basics to get a bit more understanding, uh, I regularly speak to, to owners um, from a contractor side uh, and bring them up to speed on, on how it works. So or feel free to get in contact. Yeah, likewise. Uh, always happy to talk about this. Mark, do you know if there's there a place where owners can talk to other owners to kind of get that perspective as well? You know, I, I, Corinne, I don't think that there's anything that I know, but Louise had mentioned earlier the IPDA. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think that's that's a that's a great body that's that's come together. Um, but I, I think we're we're in the infancy here. An awful lot of this is is doing what you are doing today, which is to host a panel like this. And and I think we're going to find that it's a, it's a pretty small group of people. And so, you know, I think anybody on this panel would be more than happy that if you want to reach out and have a conversation, more more than happy to entertain and, and uh, spread the word and at least tell you what we know, maybe more about what we don't know. <laughs> There's actually, there, there is an owner's forum in the Lean Construction Institute in the States um, that has was designed specifically so owners could go in there and share their problems in confidence <laughs> with other owners. Yeah, same for IPDA. Same thing. Uh, there's an owner's forum as well. All right. Well, thank you so much to all of you today. You've probably been the easiest panel I've ever had to uh, moderate. <laughs> Just kind of flowing along. It's fabulous. And lots of great questions from the audience, too. I would be remiss if I didn't thank our today's sponsor, Graham Construction. We wouldn't be able to host important discussions like this one today without the generous support of our industry. Infra-intelligence podcasts are adapted from an ongoing webinar series hosted by Renew Canada magazine. You can find out more by following Renew Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn or by visiting renewcanada.net.